To look at life from a different vantage point is to see the world differently. And that is certainly true when it comes to one's encounter with the sacred. Every tribe is an equal distance from the holy, but each encounter with the Almighty is singular. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 41, The Phantom Tollbooth, and The Meaning of Numbers. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. There was once a boy named Milo who didn't know what to do with himself, not just sometimes, but always. So begins The Phantom Tollbooth, one of my favorite books as a child, and, I believe, the best children's book written in the English language. Six decades ago, Norton Juster, a young architect, received a grant to write a book for children about the field of urban design. He tried, but it wasn't working, and so he went on vacation to Fire Island to think. And while his time off did not help him at all in writing this work, it allowed him to conceive of another one. As we are told in the introduction to the annotated Phantom Tollbooth, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, I own the annotated Phantom Tollbooth, Juster suddenly recalled a conversation with a child a few days before. Quote, a boy of about 10 had sat down next to him and launched into a freewheeling conversation about math. What is the biggest number there is, the boy had gamely demanded. I said, tell me what you think the biggest number is. His reply was, something like a billion skillion million. Then I said, well, add one to it. Then we started talking back and forth, and we were clearly talking about infinity, end quote. This led to Juster's book about Milo, who sees no value in what he is asked to learn and is bequeathed a magical tollbooth that takes him into Dictionopolis and Digitopolis, the land of words and the land of numbers. And it is to the phantom tollbooth that we turn as we attempt to understand a sacred biblical book that is known for numbers and which will lead us to learn how the meaning of our lives lies in part in the nature of numbers itself. The book known as Numbers in English begins with a command by God to Moses that is all about numbers. Chapter 1, verse 2. Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families of their fathers' houses, according to their names, every male, every head, from twenty years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel. The reason for this count appears quite clear. As the medieval exegete Rabbi Shmuel ben Meir explains, with the Sinai revelation concluded and the tabernacle constructed, Israel is preparing to march into the Holy Land to conquer it. And so what is created here is a military formation with a census taken to prepare for battle. The count, therefore, focuses on those Israelites designated to fight. The Levites, who are effectively the clergy of the congregation of Israel, are not meant for the military, but rather to minister in the Holy. The Levites are therefore not numbered here, but rather on their own in the chapters that follow. But the way in which the Bible describes the nature of numbering tells us something larger about Israel, not merely about its military men. The command we quoted to count Israel is more interesting in the Hebrew, Se'u et rosh b'nei Yisrael, which can also be read as lift up the heads of the children of Israel. There is, in other words, an act of elevation, perhaps, in the way that Israel counts. Moreover, as many note, another word for counting also may contain a dual meaning. Thus, for example, the command in chapter 3, verse 14, Pekod et b'nei Levi, number the children of Levi, utilizes a word, pekod, 
which can also in certain forms be understood as appointing, signifying that in this counting there may also be a form of divine designation, even sanctification. So what is so elevating about numbers? In seeking to answer this question, we must begin by understanding how at least one significant form of counting occurs in the Bible. This is described earlier in Exodus, chapter 30, verse 13. This they shall give everyone that passeth among them that are numbered, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. The counting, in other words, takes place indirectly, with every Israelite giving a half shekel of silver, which is then counted in turn. And it seems that the Bible's emphasis on giving a machatzit, a half, is significant. In a passage in the Phantom Tobuth, inspired by Juster's original conversation with the young boy in the restaurant, the boy Milo visits Digitopolis, the land of numbers, and he asks to see the number of the greatest magnitude. He, in turn, is informed that the name of that number is infinity, and it can be found up a nearby staircase. Milo is eager to discover so vast a number, and so up the stairs he goes. But the stairway to infinity is, well, infinite, and he ultimately collapses. Then Milo meets a strange sort of individual. Quote, Standing next to him on the step was exactly one half of a small child who had been divided neatly from top to bottom. Pardon me for staring, said Milo, after he had been staring for some time, but I've never seen half a child before. It's .58 to be precise, replied the child from the left side of his mouth, which happened to be the only side of his mouth. I beg your pardon, said Milo. It's .58, he repeated. It's a little more than a half. Have you always been that way, asked Milo impatiently, for he felt that that was a needlessly fine distinction. My goodness, no, the child assured him. A few years ago, I was just .42, and believe me, that was terribly inconvenient. What is the rest of your family like, said Milo, this time a bit more sympathetically. Oh, we're just the average family, he said thoughtfully. Mother, father, and 2.58 children. And, as I explained, I'm the .58. It must be rather odd being only part of a person, Milo remarked. Not at all, said the child. Every average family has 2.58 children, so I always have someone to play with. Besides, every family also has an average of 1.3 automobiles. And since I'm the only one who can drive three-tenths of a car, I get to use it all the time. End quote. Thus does the author allow the imagination of a child reading this book to explore the nature of numbers, the meaning of math, and what averages are all about. But it also provides us with a meaningful metaphor for biblical counting. If it is a half shekel that is stressed, it is because through being numbered as an Israelite, one is supposed to see oneself as a half, as 0.5 of an Israelite, meaning incomplete, without all the other members of one's people. As we will see, in biblical Israel, every individual is treasured, unique, but it is in becoming part of something larger than ourselves that our lives achieve true meaning. Or to put it slightly differently, it is in knowing that our individual identities fit somehow into a larger whole that true meaning is achieved. We are called to see ourselves as a half, not because the individual is average, but precisely for the opposite reason. In seeking to better understand this, we move on to chapter 2. The military formations of the tribes are arranged around the tabernacle, twelve tribes in all, with Joseph doubled into two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and the Levites uncounted. These twelve tribes are divided into four contingents of three tribes each, one contingent on each side of the tabernacle. There is a more prominent tribe in each contingent. One contingent is led by Reuben, Jacob's firstborn through Leah. The second 
led by Ephraim, the most important son of Joseph, Rachel's firstborn. A third is led by Dan, who was the largest of the tribes not born to Rachel or Leah. The contingent opposite that of Dan is represented not by a firstborn, but rather by Judah, who since his heroic evolution in the Joseph story has been slated for leadership by Jacob's blessing. The Bible will later state that Dan brings up the rare, placing Judah at the forefront. And as Israel is militarily arrayed, the tabernacle sits at the center of the camp, maintained by the tribe of Levi. Thus, even though prominence is given to specific tribes, and perhaps to Judah above all, each of the tribes in the military encampment is equally close to the sacred that is at the center. Professor Jonathan Grossman offers several explanations for the significance of this. Here is one of them. Quote, The form of encampment of the tribes around the Mishkan also had educational value. In this way, all the tribes dwelled at the same distance from the Mishkan, with the exception, of course, of the tribe of Levi. The intertribal hierarchy, which existed in the nature of the division of tribes into the various camps, was thus less glaring, since the basic shape of the camp was a square or circle, with all observing a fixed distance from the resting place of the divine presence. Thus it was clear that everyone had the same opportunity, with the same effort, of reaching the holy place. End quote. Professor Grossman's point is profound, and there's more to add here. Because each tribe, and indeed each individual, is placed at a different point around the tabernacle, their perspectives are equidistant, but they are not the same. Each beholds the tabernacle from a different vantage point. In one wonderful moment in the Phantom Tollbooth, Milo and his friends encounter a strange boy named Alec. Alec is not 0.58, but a full child. However, his head is much higher than Milo's, for he walks on air. Milo wonders how this is, and the boy explains, quote, Well, said the boy, in my family, everyone is born in the air, with his head at exactly the height it's going to be when he's an adult. And then we all grow toward the ground. When we're fully grown up, or as you can see, grown down, our feet finally touch. Of course, there are a few of us whose feet never reach the ground, no matter how old we get, but I suppose it's the same in every family. And then he continues, You certainly must be very old to have reached ground already. Oh no, said Milo seriously. In my family, we all start on the ground and grow up but we never know how far until we actually get there. What a silly system, the boy laughed. Then your head keeps changing its height and you always see things in a different way? Why, when you're 15, things won't look at all the way they did when you were 10, and at 20, everything will change again. I suppose so, replied Milo, for he had never really thought about the matter. End quote. To look at life from a different vantage point is to see the world differently, and that is certainly true when it comes to one's encounter with the sacred. Every tribe is an equal distance from the holy, but each encounter with the Almighty is singular. Thus the encampment blends individuality and collectivity with each tribe, each family, each Israelite, uniquely contributing to Israel's relationship with God. They are a fighting force, but at the center of their encampment is the divine. They fight and they live and they love for something larger than war or power itself. Thus, the numbering and encampment of Israel is meant to teach us something larger, something eternal. My father noted to me that another word for counting throughout the Torah, sefirah, or in the infinitive, lispor, also has a deeper meaning. For the word shares the same root as sefer, scroll or book, as well as sipur, story. To count in Israel is to emphasize, 
that we are all characters in a larger story. I once heard Ambassador Yehuda Avner describe a scene he had witnessed in Israel in which a young man was off to his army service and was bidding farewell to his grandfather, seeking to convey what this moment meant. The elderly gentleman, a survivor of the Holocaust, pointed to the number tattooed on his arm. In response, the grandson took out his Israeli army tag hanging around his neck and showed his grandfather the number upon it. If the rabbis referred to this biblical book as Chumash HaPkudim, the part of the Pentateuch dedicated to counting, the larger point is that we are meant to learn from biblical numbering, to seek our own unique part within our larger tale as a people, in communion with and in dedication to those who came before. Throughout these initial chapters in Numbers, as Israel is numbered, it is emphasized that they do so Israelites are counted, appointed, sanctified as part of their families and their father's house, all surrounding the dwelling place of the divine, thereby embodying family, faith, and sanctity. This is why, later in the book of Numbers, when the prophet Bilam will stand at an overlook and will see Israel arrayed before him, he will proclaim, How goodly are your tents, O Jacob. As Professor Yonatan Grossman wrote, quote, The untamed desert bespeaks a world without boundaries. It is wild, devoid of order and regulation, a place without human habitation, a place where wild animals reign. Here, in the midst of the lack of boundaries that the desert embodies, a marvelous sight reveals itself, end quote. And as he further argues, the holiness of the camp is, quote, connected first and foremost to the internal and intimate relationships within each individual tent, so that even in the wild, untamed desert, every child knows who is his father and who is his mother, end quote. The camp of Israel in the book of Numbers is a military formation. That is why Israel is counted here. But family and faith, that is what lies at the heart of the camp. And that is the nature of Israel's identity and destiny. Israelites are numbered within their larger story, and they are ever aware that at the center of the camp dwells the presence of a God whose knowledge, wisdom, and power exceeds any number, and that this God lends meaning to the very numbering taking place. In the Phantom Tobuth, as Milo collapses on the stairway to infinity and meets the 0.58 of a child, he complains that averages are mathematical abstracts, not real. The 0.58 of a person responds, quote, One of the things about mathematics, or anything else you might care to learn, is that many of the things which can never be, often are. You see, it's very much like you're trying to reach infinity. You know that it's there, but you just don't know where. But just because you can never reach it, doesn't mean it's not worth looking for. Milo responds, I hadn't thought of it that way, starting down the stairs. I think I'll go back now. A wise decision, the child agreed. But try again someday. Perhaps you'll get much closer. End quote. The point, of course, is that counterintuitively, in striving, though failing, to reach infinity, Milo understands better what infinity is. To truly count, to ponder the nature of numbers, is to ponder one's relationship to the unlimited Almighty. And the faith that lies at the heart of the book of numbers, the book of counting, reminds all of us 
to make our own lives count. This is Mayor Soloveitchik looking forward to learning together next week. Signing off.